and that's Colossians 3, 12 to 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Good morning, everyone. As Anthony mentioned, we are uh, at the start of our Ten Commandments series, and today we're looking at the Third Commandment. But I just want to take an opportunity to give a quick ministry update uh, following our previous vision meeting. I've been um, providing kind of weekly Sunday updates just to keep everyone in the loop. So if you're new, I just want to introduce to our vision, uh, and our vision is this. Our vision is for people to find the fullness of life in Jesus with us. Uh, at Chapel Hill, we generally believe that the fullness of life is not found in material gain or accumulating experiences uh, and not necessarily getting a six-pack and uh, improving yourself. All those things are really good and they do fill up your life, but we generally believe that complete fullness is found in a relationship with God and we can have that freely and graciously through Jesus. Uh, and we can experience that more fully in a church community with us. And so the way that we realize this fullness of life in Jesus is by being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and living for Jesus. That's our vision, Sunday after Sunday, year after year, until the Lord Jesus comes. And how does that look like from now until the rest of the year, as some of you might be interested to know? Well, I think there's three priorities under those three things that the elders and I have been really seeking God's wisdom, prayerfully seeking uh, where our church needs to be. And under the being with Jesus, uh, we need to see more church-wide prayer. Uh, I admit, as someone in our generation, compared to, say, our grandparents, uh, our generation is lacking in prayer. And this has been evident over the years uh, of the start since the start of Chapel Hill and that's something that we don't want to be complacent about because at the end of the day without prayer without God's power our ministry is really powerless and we need God to do his amazing providential supernatural work in us the other thing in terms of becoming like Jesus is a priority to strengthen our community groups as you know life throws all sorts of curveballs and for various personal circumstances, in a variety of personal circumstances, in the last six months, our community groups uh, haven't been as regular, hasn't been as consistent. Um, and that kind of burdens myself and uh, the elders and many leaders' hearts. And so really want to strengthen that. Uh, and so we've met with um, the community group leaders and hosts to see if we could consolidate and renew and strengthen our community groups. Um, we want to do also lots of other community building 
uh, related activities, but we want to start with the community groups because that's our regular weekly time of fellowship. And so if we can reignite that and uh, for everyone to have a genuine desire to make that as a commitment, all other avenues for community will naturally flow from that. Um, we uh, as a church are passionate to see new people come into our midst, uh, and particularly new people come to faith in Jesus. And so we want to continue as much as we can to pursue outreach uh, in our local area and outreach within our friendships amongst our workplaces and family. And we want to do these through connection events. And last Sunday was an example of a connection event, which is our community breakfast. Um, there are talks about um, people opening a market store, which I'm in discussion with a member at church, which I'm really excited about. So hopefully the next couple of weeks we can all uh, maybe renew our winter wardrobe and see if we can donate uh, to this market store. And the idea is that we might sell that to fundraise for charity and an opportunity to connect with some locals in our markets. That's just one idea. Uh, we'll love to see people who have a heart to do outreach, uh, who is, uh, I guess, bold and one to take initiative to be a coordinator. All you need to do is talk to me. Uh, and we'll do our best uh, to promote that upfront and to get the whole church behind it. And I want to make a big prayer. Uh, and one big prayer is we've been very successful with our carols event over the last couple of years. Uh, we've had one family join us this year as a result of last year's carols event. I want to make a big prayer and say and ask God to make this year's carol event even better and bigger than last year. So would you join me in praying for that? It might seem a bit daunting, um, but we have a powerful God. Um, and so that's where we're looking at, and I'll provide some more details uh, over the next coming weeks on how those things will unfold. But quickly, I just want to, um, I guess, uh, show uh, what are our community groups going forward for the rest of this year. And so we have a Monday community group which I lead in Roselle and that's mainly made up of the newcomers which have joined our church which has been really exciting. Um, we've also uh, started a new location in Rhodes and so Kevin and Kim have generously opened up their new apartment that they've recently uh, acquired as a newlywed couple. Um, and so there's now a group that meets in Rhodes, which can really be accessible for those who live in that part of Sydney. Um, the Thursday morning community group will continue, which is hosted by Ellis and Brianna. And the Sunday one continues um, uh, at church every fortnight. Uh, but we're talking to Nate. Nate is the one who leads that. We're going to continue to evaluate that week by week to see the viability of that and whether there's opportunity to uh, either consolidate a few more, just so that our community groups continue to be consistent. Uh, um, if you have any questions about community groups, please come talk to me. A few final things to wrap up on this quick update is to say that session is um, uh, close to appointing an assessor elder onto our eldership. An assessor elder is just a temporary interim elder that's from another church. Uh, our elders realise uh, there's lots that we can learn from another elder that has been more experienced, a bit older perhaps, um, to help uh, develop some skills on how to uh, run our session meetings, but also think about how can we best draw upon some wisdom on how to continue to build our church. 
I met with the community management last Sunday and the community management has decided that they would love to have a call out for anyone who would be interested to join their community of management. Uh, so if you're interested, uh, if you want to know even a bit more about what the community management does, uh, they're really focused on, I guess, the administrative, policy, financial side, as well as the building side of our church. Um, we'll love to have anyone who's interested to have a conversation to me, and we'll love to uh, have new members join the community management uh, so that your skills and gifts can be applied to church. Um, so I'll continue to provide some further details on ministering plans uh, each week, and there is scheduled in another vision meeting in August. Uh, I'll confirm the date very shortly, um, so some of those details will be uh, unpacked uh, and presented, and we can have a discussion and open forum to get further of your thoughts and ideas on how our church continues to be a place where people find the fullness of life in Jesus with us. So please join me in praying uh, for these things. Our Heavenly Father, we want to come to you in prayer again because um, there really is not uh, too less of or too much of a time to come to you in prayer. And so, Father, we ask that you continue to build your church. Give us assurance and confidence um, that you continue to be faithful to your promises, that you will guide your sheep, that you will call the lost to come into a saving relationship with you. And so, Father, as we continue to be with Jesus more, as we continue to seek to become more like Jesus in our community groups, and as we continue to be called to live for Jesus by being on mission for you, we ask that you bless all of our activities, that you give us great wisdom, and that you give us great joy in seeing our fellowship grow to your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, I noticed the mic is a bit echoey today, so um, I'll be very sensitive to that. So I might talk very quietly today. <laughs> um, let me start with uh, to say that the BBC show that you might be aware of is called Antique Roadshow. I have to say it's not a TV program that I personally follow and watch, but I can understand why people like the show, especially bargain hunters. I'm sure there's a few bargain hunters in our midst. People who love to be told that their junk is worth a valuable price tag. People love to hear that their junk is actually a valuable antique. And this is the most expensive ever antique roadshow to be revealed. And it's a Fabergé flower which has been valued at over one million pound. Imagine you had this Fabergé flower sitting in the back of your garage for years collecting dust, and all of a sudden you find out how incredible valuable it is. You certainly would not put it back in your garage. Because you see, as soon as you understand and acknowledge how valuable something is, it changes the way that you treat it you probably start to wear gloves to just handle it. And this is the principle behind the third commandment. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses 
his name. The first commandment tells us not to worship false gods, and we can understand why that's a big deal. After all, you don't want to go around worshipping a false god. The second commandment tells us not to worship God in the wrong way. And that makes sense too. The invisible God who reveals himself through his word has the right to determine how to be worshipped according to what he says and what he reveals himself by his word. So the first and the two commandments are pretty serious and we can understand that are quite foundational in our relationship with God. But when we come to this third commandment, we, we feel like it's perhaps a minor thing and we can let our guard down just a little. We tend to interpret this third commandment as just watch what you say. You know, as a Christian, don't swear and be careful with your OMGs. But there's actually a lot more meaning to the third commandment than not swearing or cursing with God's name. Because how we treat God's name reveals how much we value and honour God. How we treat his name reveals how much we value and honour God. So let's start by understanding the significance of God's name. The names that each of you have, I'm guessing was chosen by your parents or maybe a relative or a loved one. But... God is different. He chose his own name, a special name that sums up himself. And that kind of points that if you can choose your own name, then you're kind of a bit outside of normal creation. It implies that he is the creator and that he himself can self-define himself. And we read about God's own chosen name in the book of Exodus when he called Moses to be the leader of Israel. When God appointed Moses as the leader, Moses asked God a question, and this is the question. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your father has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And here's the reply. God said to Moses, he says, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And he goes on to say, this is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. God reveals his name as I am who I am, which is then shortened. He gives himself a nickname. He says, I am is my shortened name. In Hebrew, it's pronounced as Yahweh. So I am who I am in Hebrew is pronounced Yahweh. English Bibles have translated Yahweh as the Lord in all caps. So you might notice in your Bible, there's the Lord in all small caps, all caps. So the name I am who I am talks about God's self-existence and independence. No one created him and no one defines him. Therefore, he is the only one that can define himself. But later in Exodus, God explains his self-existence and independence with a bit more detail. So we go to Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 to 7. We read, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord which is Yahweh, I am who I am. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. 
I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. We read on, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So God is the one who frees and redeems his people from slavery. And as a result, his people will know him as the Lord, as Yahweh. It is in that redemption and salvation of Israel from slavery that also defines Yahweh as I am who I am. So God's people will now see a new aspect about God's independence or uniqueness. That is, he is the only one that is faithful and mighty and gracious to save his people. God's name not only points to his self-existence, but also to his uniqueness and independence to be the only one who can save his people graciously with mighty acts. So another way to explain it is that Yahweh is not just another way of saying God who is unique. Yahweh is more like saying my God who saves me and is faithful to me. And he's the only one that does that. Yahweh means my God personally who saves me and he's faithful to me, and there is no one like him. And so for Christian believers, God's name is now connected to the name of Jesus because God's promise of salvation are fulfilled in Jesus through his death and resurrection. By Jesus' death and resurrection, he pays for the penalty for our sins to free us from the penalty and bondage of sin. So that Paul says in Romans, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And therefore, we get the connection of the Lord, Yahweh, to reference to Jesus who was saved. And so the name of Jesus is valuable and precious. The name of Jesus is worthy of respect and honour and praise because it's his name and his name alone has the power to save us from our sins. And so no wonder God commands us not to misuse his name because his name refers to the God who is mighty to save. And so when we misuse the name, treating it worthless and perhaps empty, we would then regard God's faithful and gracious salvation as also worthless and empty. But when we treat God's name with honour and reverence, we would rightly regard him and his salvation with honour, reverence and thankfulness. Imagine there's a hostage situation and the strain special forces are called in. They mount a rescue operation with all the dangers and risks. They go in, they pull out the hostages, and they deliver them safe, safe and sound. How would those hostages speak about those special forces? You can imagine they would never, ever speak a bad word about them. They wouldn't take what they've done lightly and so they wouldn't speak poorly about the name of the special forces. Instead, they would hold them with high regard and speak well of them. And it's the same with God. We want to hold up God's name in high esteem because he himself and what he has done to save us is so precious to us. And so this commandment is a warning for us to not take God and his salvation lightly. Or more positively, we are to honour God in his name 
because it honours his salvation rightly. We want to treat his name with the value that it deserves. And so how do we do this practically? We want to give four areas of practical application on how we can honour and revere God's name rightly. The first area is obviously speaking God's name. And so the most obvious is not to use the name of God as a curse word. Jesus is not a swear word. It's a word that saves. But it also means that we shouldn't give false oaths or promises by swearing by God's name. Because when we don't keep those promises and we become swearing falsely in the name of God, well, that obviously shows a lack of respect for the name that you've invoked. We also violate the third commandment when we blaspheme God's name, which is to deliberately speak falsely about him. When we attribute wrong and evil things to God, it shows an attitude of a deep and profound rejection of God's goodness and what he has done graciously to save us. The second area of application is speaking in God's name. And so we must be really careful not to ascribe a false sense of God's authority when we talk about our ideas and plans and even our opinions. Because if we give the impression that God's own words and authority is behind what we say, that can be really difficult to challenge. That perhaps could be misleading or perhaps manipulative. And so we do need to be careful to not throw around phrases like, God told me to do this or God wants us to do that. And I want to acknowledge that some Christian traditions use this sort of language without trying to claim divine authority for every decision. I want to acknowledge that. But we ought to be just be careful. I just want to be cautious to not to slap the name of God on the back of our ideas and opinions just because we feel strongly about it. And I must admit and share that as a preacher and a pastor, I'm very careful about this. As a preacher, I must be careful to not to only say and explain what God has said himself from God's word in the Bible. And that means not adding to it, nor taking away from it, from God's word. False teachers are those who claim to be God's spokesperson who add and subtract from God's word. And so every Bible teacher who takes God's name seriously will do all that he and she can do to understand God's word rightly and teach it accurately. When it comes to sharing my thoughts and opinions and plans, I'm also very careful not to say this is what God wants us to do Um, because, as you can tell, this can be perhaps unfair or potentially manipulative because how can you argue against God's will? It's a hard argument to, to push back against, isn't it? And so when we do that, it pushes our decisions out of reach from debates and concerns. I might rather say things like, this is something I want to raise or share with you because this is something I've been thinking about and been praying about. Or we prayed about this and we feel like this might seem best. Or we've sought God and spent time researching all the options and as your leaders, we think that this might be really good for our church. I think this is much more a helpful way of communicating our dependence on God. Commentator Phil Riken, in his commentary on Exodus on the Ten Commandments, puts this really well. He says, A more serious way to break the third commandment is by using God's name in advance to advance our own agenda. Some Christians say, The Lord told me to do this, or worse, they say, The Lord told me to tell you to do this. He says, This is 
false prophecy. God has already said whatever he needs to say in his word. Of course, there is also an inward leading of the Holy Spirit. This is only an inward leading, and it should not be misrepresented as the authoritative word of God. And so hear me clearly. I want to say, yes, I want to affirm that God providentially guides and he leads us by the inward conviction of the Holy Spirit as we seek to apply God's word to our specific context But we just need to be really careful not to claim absolute divine authority for all of our human plans and decisions. But on the flip side, on the positive side, how we honour, revere God's name is by revering God's word, by being attentive, focused, and above all, obedient to all that he says to us in the Bible. The third area of application is gathering in God's name. We should consider how obeying the third commandment affects how we gather as God's people on Sundays, in community groups, and in all sorts of other times that we gather together as his people. As God's people, we gather in his name. We sing praises to his name. We call on his name in prayer. His word is spoken in his name to us. If we held a high view of his name, Think about how it will affect all that happens when we gather together as his people. So take a few seconds and think of a moment. If we really held a high view of his name, how might it affect our attitude and approach when we gather together as his people? I can think of a few examples. I think it might mean that there will be a gravity and weight to all that we do, doesn't it? If God's name is important to us, then these activities are not just mere gatherings. It's not just an hour here, an hour there. It's much more than that, isn't it? And so if it's much more than that, then maybe a way that we might show honour to his name is just the simple thing of turning up on time because gathering God's name is important and valuable to us. It might be shown through concentration and thoughtfulness because gathering in God's name is important and valuable to us. It might be shown by putting your mobile phone away, because gathering in God's name is important and valuable to us. It might be shown by a heartfelt desire to honour God, to lift his name on high, to even bow before him, to trust him, to praise him, because gathering in God's name is important and valuable to us. I love to hear amongst our congregation a desire for deeper community. And there's a lot of things of our business that might hinder us, but I think to achieve our horizontal connection, I think we need to reignite our vertical connection. To know that when we gather in his name, it's not just a few hours here and there. It's so much more, isn't it? Because when we come together, we show to him that we are the results We are the fruits of his mighty salvation. And I think once we have that attitude, man, it just changes our perspective when we come together, doesn't it? The last ever application is living out God's name. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal to us. When we become followers of Jesus, we take on the name as Christians. And so as Christians, we bear Christ's name in the very word Christian. 
And when we do that, we are ambassadors and we represent him in our world. As Christ's ambassadors and representatives, Paul also tells us in Colossians 3, verse 17, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We honour God's name by speaking and doing everything according to the name of Jesus. It's like being... uh, I don't know if you had to wear school uniforms. It's like if you remember you were a school children or a high school student and uh, you wore the name of your school on your blazer and you're told by the teachers that your behaviour when you wear the school uniform reflects on the school. And so when a student behaves badly whilst wearing their school uniform, bearing the name of the school, usually their bad behaviour brings down the school. I think it's the same with Christians who bear the name of Christ. When we do all that we do and do it in Christ, for Christ and through Christ, we show that his name is of value, the name that we love and we value that this name is the name above all names by our actions and behaviours, by all that we do. And so the third commandment ends with this vague reference to punishment for misusing God's name. It says there, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will hold anyone, will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. The God who takes us so seriously, who loves us so passionately, who saves us so graciously, is right to be outraged by our rejection and betrayal of him. Yet, we read in the New Testament, that the I am is so faithful to his promise to graciously save us that that due punishment for not honouring his name and not honouring his salvation, that due punishment fell upon his own son so that we might be freely forgiven. And so when we are guilty and convicted of not revering, calling upon, trusting in the name of Jesus, when we find ourselves not speaking rightly of his name, when we find ourselves not speaking rightly in God's name, when we don't rightly gather in his name, when we don't rightly live out his name, when we call ourselves Christians and we bear the name of Christ and we actually do not live in real faith or in real joyful obedience to Jesus, the good news is that we can run to Jesus. Do you see? Jesus is not that mean, horrible principal who spots you out wearing the name of a Christian, but he's a loving brother who represents the Father. And so rather than running to a principal to get punished, a slap on the wrist, we can run to Jesus and find forgiveness of all the times that we have not honoured living out God's precious name. We can run to Jesus because he is the only one. He has the only name that has the power to forgive us, to save us, to free us, to then truly treasure his name in our words and actions. By trusting in Jesus' death and resurrection, we are freed from sin, from guilt, to truly and surely pray to Jesus, hallowed be your name. 
Hallowed be your name. We can freely say that because his name is mighty to save. Please join me in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we praise the name of Jesus, the only name that we can call upon to be saved. By your word and spirit, help us to do all that we do, to do it in Christ, for Christ, and through Christ, to show that his name is of value, that it is the name of Jesus that we love, and it's that name that we exalt as the name above all names. And so in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.
Well, that ends our formal time together, but please stick around for some lovely morning tea. We also seem to have a whole pile of lemons that need a new home. So if you'd like a lemon, they're from Amy's grandmother's house. Um, I'm just going to read part of the passage to close. Um, and whatever you do, whether